Welcome back. It is episode number 25 of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. I'm Dan Ball. And I'm Matt McAuliffe. And last week we took a week off. Matt and I have been on the road again, again, a lot again, over again. the last few weeks. <laughs> um, so the, the week before, we were up in Syracuse, New York, uh, continuing our coverage and creation of all things journalism with the women's basketball team for the 2019 NCAA tournament. We took last week off because we were kind of recovering and, and yeah. uh, getting getting back to full steam with everything academic wise. But, you know, I, I think as we, we wrap up the women's basketball season and the two of us having a chance to cover them over the last uh, few weeks in their tournament runs, just a, an incredible, incredible team. The group of seniors that we got to work with coach Trish Fabry, it was just everything. It was, it was really special. It was. And that's what makes the winter season fun. I mean, in, the fact that we're doing all this traveling is a good thing. It shows that our teams are successful and they're going deep in the postseason runs and they're making magic happen, spreading our school's name. It's a lot of fun. The winter season is a lot of fun, but the spring season is just as fun. So I'm excited for, uh, the future. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't thank, uh, you know, the team for allowing us to have access and letting us do fun and, and crazy stuff with them as they were getting ready to play in, in Mac and NCAA tournament games. So a special thank you to them. But like Matt said, we are now fully into spring season as of the day that we are recording this podcast. We got uh, a number of things going on, headlines all around in the week that was in Quinnipiac Athletics. <laughs> Some quick news and notes for you. Cam Young was named an honorable mention for the 2019 AP All-American team. The student-athlete was the first in program history to receive votes in that poll, so congrats to him. Chase Prisky was named to the All-College Hockey News second team. Junior defenseman Brogan Rafferty has signed an entry-level contract with the Vancouver Canucks. According to head coach Rand Pecknold, Rafferty is slated to play versus Nashville on Thursday, so good luck to Brogan. Foster Cuomo was named the MAC Offensive Player of the Week for the second time this season. Women's hockey forward Kenzie Lancaster was awarded the 2019 Sarah Devins Award. The award is annually presented by ECAC Hockey and the Hockey East Association to one player who exemplifies a commitment to leadership on and off the ice. So congratulations to Kenzie. Quinnipiac senior Emily Roscoff and junior Mika Maples were named NIRA All-Americans for the rugby team, so congratulations to them. And Gary Matthews has been named the assistant coach for the women's volleyball team. Those are the news and notes. The Bobcats men's ice hockey team went to Allentown, Pennsylvania for the 2019 NCAA tournament Midwest Regional. The Bobcats ended up with the number two seed in that bracket. They beat Arizona State 2-1 in the semifinals Saturday night. Joe O'Connor, Hamden Zone, and William Falstrom both scored for the Bobcats. And Andrew Shortridge made 20 saves to pick up the win. Quinnipiac picked up its seventh overall NCAA tournament victory since the 2016 season, improving to 7-5 and all-time in that tournament. The Bobcats advanced to the regional final for the third time in program history, but they unfortunately ran, to, ran into a really, really good Minnesota Duluth team and lost that game by a score of 3-1. to Craig Martin scored the lone goal for the Bobcats. 
So the Bobcats finished with 26 wins on the year, tied for the fourth most in program history. And we also would like to thank the senior class of Chase Prisky, Craig Martin, Scott Davidson, Luke Shiplow, and Brandon Fortunato. That's right. That uh, that group of five brought a lot to the team. And, you know, uh, we got a chance to sit down with Chase Prisky. I sat down with Odin Tufto earlier in the year. Uh, Rand Pecknold joined us as well. And again, this this group, uh, nothing to hang their heads about for this year. They, they were picked to finish in the middle of the ECAC. They far uh, you know, outstretched those expectations and just really there, there were so many great things to see this year and so many exciting storylines to follow for the 1920 season. They were back to playing Quinnipiac hockey. They really found their identity again and it, it was really, really fun to watch this year. Women's rugby took part in the Crimson Sevens tournament, their first game action since the NIRA tournament back in November. They won the first two contests by a combined 106 to nothing score. Matt, is that good? Yeah, that's pretty good, Tim. They beat Sacred Heart 55 nothing and Colby Sawyer 51 nothing. They fell to Harvard in Game 3 but advanced to the semifinals nonetheless. They ultimately fell to Dartmouth in the Cup semifinals and dropped the Cup consolation game to Army West Point to end the weekend. Clara Lamal Brown led the way offensively for the Bobcats with six tries on the afternoon, while Allison Koenig posted three tries, six assists, and six conversions. The Bobcats conclude their brief spring schedule this coming Saturday at the Spring Sevens Sorensen Invitational hosted by Brown in Providence, Rhode Island. Now, field hockey, they kicked off their spring schedule with games against Providence, Boston College, and Merrimack this past Sunday. They continue their spring schedule this weekend with a game at UMass on Saturday before returning home to play Yale on Sunday. Women's Outdoor Track competed in the Monmouth season opener on Saturday. Among the track results, freshman Simone Foster took first with a time of 14.88 in the 100-meter hurdles. Senior Kaylee Roberts took first, and sophomore Amanda Carlson finished second in the 3,000-meter steeplechase. In the field results, freshman Kailana Botello took first place in the high jump, which uh, was a qualifying mark for ECAC, so congratulations to her. Outdoor Track continues their season on Friday and Saturday at the Colonial Relays hosted by William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Men's tennis now. They split their matches this weekend. They beat the University of Connecticut at home on Saturday afternoon. Patrick Cacapero and Hilk Moore. They have now won two straight doubles matches as a duo. Moore has earned five career doubles wins since the Bobcats' spring break trip to California. Axel Stern picked up his second doubles win in the Bobcats' last three contests as he and Alistair Magalit earned a Number three doubles win. The second half of the weekend wasn't quite as successful, though, as the Bobcats dropped their match at Harvard on Sunday by a final of four to one. Freddie Zaretsky and Austin Yanone claimed a number three doubles victory, six to three. Then Cacapero and Moore won a tight number two doubles match shortly after. Men's tennis is at Wagner on Thursday before returning home for a MAC matchup against Siena on Saturday. Women's tennis was home for two matches this weekend. They dropped their match on Saturday to LIU Brooklyn by a score of 4-0 before bouncing back to beat Binghamton University on Sunday by a final of 4-1. Layla Rodriguez earned both a singles and doubles win for the Bobcats, who improved to 5-12 with the victory. Peyton Bradley won her number three singles match, 6-1, 5-7, So congratulations to her. Women's tennis continues their homestand this coming weekend as they host Siena College for a MAC match on Saturday, followed by a non-conference match against St. Francis University on Sunday. Now, Dan, to the sport that we're new experts in, acrobatics and tumbling. They are riding a three-meet winning streak. Um, I'm pretty sure the last time that they lost was before they came on. Was it on the... Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, on a so, podcast. Right. So on since that podcast, they've won three straight, right? Wow. It, it's got to just be a coincidence, I'm sure. Yeah, no. Nah, it has not. Yeah. yeah. It's got to be just. Yeah. Yeah. What, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Acro was riding a three-meet winning streak as they beat Gannett on the road on Saturday by a final of 276.59 to 270.95. Quinnipiac was particularly strong in the pyramid and team events, recording season highs in each one with 29.35 points and 96.59 points, respectively. The Bobcats also tied or set season highs in five different heats, Dan. Quinnipiac nearly recorded its third 10 point score that's a perfect score of the season in the first heat of the pyramid event posting a season high score of 9.95 acro was at home for their final meet of the regular season this weekend i'll be there as a battle alderson Bratis at 1 p.m on saturday at the people's united center so i'll be making noise for them Women's golf is back in action this coming week as they head to Poolsville, Maryland for the Hoya Invitational, hosted by Georgetown on Monday and Tuesday, April 8th and 9th. So good luck to that squad getting back in action. Men's lacrosse, they are now 3-0 in the MAC after beating Siena on the road on Saturday by a score of 13-10. Quinnipiac rattled off seven of the game's last eight goals in the last quarter. Foster Como scored a team-high five goals to go along with the two helpers for seven points, including three scorers during Quinnipiac's fourth-quarter comeback. Como now has 18 goals and six assists so far, so he's good at lacrosse. Jake Tomzik added three goals and three helpers of his own, stretching his season point total to 39. He's also good at the sport. Men's lacrosse wraps up a brief two-game road trip this weekend as they play at Canisius on Saturday at 3 p.m. Women's lacrosse, meanwhile, won a double overtime thriller on Saturday, taking down Canisius on the road by a score of 14-13 to pick up their first MAC win of the season. Quinnipiac outscored Canisius 9-4 in the second half of the game to bring it even and force overtime. Junior Megan Swazlowski and senior Allison Kuhn each posted six points in the win, while goalkeepers Allie Kelsey and Sammy Walter combined for eight saves. Women's lacs play the day this podcast drops, so the 3rd of April at Iona at 3 p.m. before returning home on Saturday for a game against Niagara at noon. Now to the baseball diamond. The baseball team is a perfect 6-0 and to start their MAC campaign. The spring sports are showing up, Dan, as they swept Niagara on the road on Friday and Saturday. They started with two wins and a doubleheader Friday, winning 7-1 and 7-2. In Game 1, Liam Scaffarello belted two home runs while Tyler Poulin tossed eight innings of shutout ball. In Game 2, Andre Marrero had three hits, including a triple, to extend his hitting streak to 11 games. Chris N. struck out nine batters over six innings to pick up the win on the mound. The Bobcats finished off the sweep on Saturday with a 3-1 win. Arthur Carrera tossed a career-high seven innings, allowing just one run on five hits and adding five strikeouts. Michael Cohn led the Bobcats' offense as he went two for three on the day with a double and two RBIs. Baseball plays a non-conference game at Central Connecticut State on Wednesday, the day this podcast drops, before hosting Canisius for a three-game series in the MAC on Saturday and Sunday. And the final team on our rundown and the team we're focusing on for today's episode is the softball team. And Matt, the softball team, speaking of continuing to kill it we in got the spring three, season. We got three sports undefeated in MAC play. Incredible. Softball is now 4-0 and to start their MAC season. They kicked off the league slate with a doubleheader sweep of Manhattan College on Saturday. They won game one by a score of 2-0 as senior pitcher Kendall Brundrit struck out two en route to her first shutout. They followed that up with an 8-5 win in game two. Freshman Alexis Otero hit a three-run home run in the bottom of the sixth to break a 5-5 tie and ultimately win the game. 
Softball followed that up with a doubleheader sweep of St. Peter's on Monday afternoon. They won game one by a score of 3-1. to one. Kendall Brundrett threw all seven innings and racked up seven strikeouts for her second MAC win of the season. Kendall Brundrett threw all seven innings and racked up seven strikeouts for her second MAC win of the season. Junior Rachel Marchuk went one for two with a home run in the fifth inning. The Bobcats won game two on a walk-off by a score of 5-4 to four in 10 innings. Brundrett came into the game in the sixth inning and pitched until the game was over. That's four and two-thirds innings for 11 and two-thirds innings on the day. She allowed zero runs and four hits for her second win of the day. Junior Megan Dyson was hit by a pitch with the bases loaded to force in the game-winning run. So softball is busy this upcoming week. They visit Yale for a doubleheader on the day this podcast drops. That's Wednesday. They continued their road trip with four MAC games over the weekend, playing a doubleheader at Monmouth on Saturday and another twin bill at Fairfield on Sunday. And Matt, on today's episode, we are talking to the head coach of the softball team, Hillary Barrow. She's in her first season with the softball program, but Matt, she's already got some big plans for what she wants this program to do. She has big plans because she has played big conference softball. She knows what it takes to win softball games and knows what it takes to go far in conference tournaments. She played at Central Florida and and gets it. She she knows the game and she brings this young energy to the team that I think is a really good spark for the program. So I got a chance to sit down with Hillary Barrow earlier today and uh, let's hear what she had to say. And we're back here on episode number 25 of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. And today we are joined by the first year head coach of the Quinnipiac softball team, Hillary Barrow. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for taking the time. It's a little early in the morning, but uh, uh, I know you're coming off uh, two doubleheaders this weekend and two or well, four wins off of those two doubleheaders. So we'll talk a little bit about that because uh, <laughs> a couple of the games yesterday were, were, were pretty <laughs> exciting. But, um, you know, first, I, I want to talk a little bit more about you because you're your story is pretty interesting from somebody who's not too far removed from your playing career. So um, before we get to the Quinnipiac story, there's a few things before that. So I kind of want to first talk about your playing career. Uh, Started down and played down in Florida. So, uh, I mean, the, you know, the recruiting process for you, I'm, you know, I'm assuming you played growing up. Yeah. Um, So when did, when did softball or when did you start playing softball? And then when did you decide that, oh, I think I could play, you know, play division one and continue my career? I started playing softball when I was seven. Um, one I really started doing because my grandfather, my grandfather is basically a legend. Um, <laughs> down in Miami, he coached baseball for many years. Um, he coached a lot of guys in the big leagues. Um, Jose Canseco is, is one of them. So really, yeah. So he's coached a, a lot of guys. And um, what is this? I'm sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but is this is this like a minor league, junior legion, something? He actually of? coached him at uh, Miami High. Oh, okay. So he yeah. coached uh, high school baseball, and that's probably. Nothing against Miami High, but that was probably the last time that um <laughs> that they were really really good in baseball. Yeah, and my yeah. grandfather was there for twenty years, and um he was a big deal down there. He, unfortunately, he passed away um, recently, but he was a big deal in Miami, and um he was basically my role model. He taught me how to play, and um, I was just really close with him, and we just shared a special bond over that. So I just always knew I wanted to play, and I just always had the heart for it. Um, both my sisters play, too. I'm the middle child. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know what you say about middle children. Yeah, well, <laughs> But my older sister played, and she was just uh, just naturally gifted in what she did, and I just always wanted to be like her. Obviously, everybody wants to be like their older sister, and my little sister is really good too. She played in college. She played Division One. She played at UCF for two years and then transferred out and played in Buffalo. Oh wow! Okay. Um, so she really knows cold weather. <laughs> um, 
so is softball and baseball just in our bloodline in our family um for me it came a little bit different i was always passionate about it i think i had the most passion out of all my sisters um but i think i just always had to work harder um, than the rest of them it wasn't that i wasn't as athletic it was just softball didn't come as easy to me and um, i just remember the long road trips with my grandfather to travel games and him always talking to me and questioning me about the game, putting me in situations, and that's literally how our road trip went. It wasn't singing songs or things like that, but is what I remember the most, and I think that's why um, I become such a student of the game, and that's what separated me the most um, when I played. And then now as a coach, just that I understand the game more, a little bit more maybe than other people. So I always knew I wanted to play at the next level, especially seeing my older sister getting letters in the mail and things like that. I was like, that's so cool. I wanna do that. I wanna be those girls on TV. Um, and then when I was a senior in high school, I was getting recruited by a Pac-12 school and um, an SEC school, and I tore my ACL, unfortunately, in oh, September of my senior year. Yeah. Yeah, so it was really tough, and that was the first time I really had to face adversity in my life, and I didn't know what to do. I thought softball was over, and I thought that was, like, <laughs> everything for me, and it was really hard for me um, tearing my ACL, but I was just determined to come back as quick as I can, and I came back in four and a half months, which was absolutely nuts Lord, um, yeah. for everybody to think about but yeah. um, I just worked really hard and I wasn't gonna let that take me away from what my dreams were and I actually was playing uh, my first weekend out and I it was down in Orlando actually or up in Orlando for me because I'm from Miami Florida and it was our first high school tournament and I ended up getting the MVP of the entire tournament and UCF was there and um, Coach Gillespie saw me play and she was the w woman who started the UCF program. She was there forever. Um, <laughs> and she actually just left to go uh, be the head coach at Iowa, which is her hometown, and I'm really happy for her. But she saw something special in me, and I appreciate that from her because all my offers went down the door when I tore my ACL, and I was just fighting to find a home. And um, when I went to UCF, she brought me there. Um, it was close enough to home where my grandfather could watch me play, which was really, really important for me, but it was far enough <laughs> away from home at the same time <laughs> where I felt like I could have a college experience yeah, and of course. learn how to grow up and be my own person. And it was honestly the best four years of my life playing at UCF. And I wouldn't um, take that away for anything. I, I really made some awesome friends. Um, they're lifelong friends. I have a new family and I still talk to them to this day. And I'm still really close with Renee Gillespie and it was just an awesome experience, and I'm really thankful wow. for playing at UCF. I mean, you know, from those those long road trips with your grandfather, you were predisposed to be a coach from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, you know, first of all, the the only UCF player in program history to win win their conference is both a player and a coach. So, yeah. I mean, that's an incredible accolade to have. It's really cool in and of itself. <laughs> but so, so you play your four years at UCF, and then. The coaching career comes. Yeah. So uh, was it Coach Gillespie who reached out to you originally? Well, it was crazy. Um, I was actually, so most people don't know this about me. When I tell people this, they're <laughs> like, wait, what? I'm actually a really creative person, too, um, okay. outside of softball. And when I graduated from UCF, it's really hard being a student athlete, having a sport your whole life, and then it kind of getting taken away from you and you're trying to figure out what do I do next so I actually went to pastry school most people don't know that about me wow. um and I actually used to work in a cake shop and I used to make wedding cakes birthday cakes all that fun <laughs> stuff but I still miss I still miss softball yeah. so much so when I was done working or I was done at pastry school I actually coached at St. Cloud High School um, which is in the Orlando area and I was doing that so I would go to school then I would drive to St. Cloud, which is 45 minutes away, 
I would practice with them um, on weekdays. And then on weekends, I was actually giving lessons for like eight hours straight on Saturdays and Sundays. So my life was pretty crazy, but I just couldn't imagine um, life without it. And I needed softball in my life because I was just missing that void, that competition, that aspect, um, the thrill of winning, just all those things, the camaraderie. Those are things that you can't get um, outside of sports. I think that's why I'm a coach. Yeah, making (laughs) cakes and pastries and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just a cool little story um, about me that how I really got into coaching. And um, when the job opened up at UCF, I reached out to Renee and I was like, we need to meet. And she was (laughs) like, "Okay." So I went to Renee's office and um, I met with her and I just told her, like, coach, you need to hire me. Like, please hire me. I know the job is open. Like, just give me an opportunity. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. And um, I'm just really thankful to her for believing in me. I was really young. I was 22 when I asked her. <laughs> That's really, really young. And I got hired on my 23rd birthday. And it was it was a learning process just because I was just fresh out of playing. I graduated and I was 21. And I had to figure out, you know, how to separate myself from a coach as a player. And there's two different roles you have to play. And I learned a lot. And I'm just thankful Renee took me under her wing and taught me everything she knows. And um, she really molded me into understanding how to be the best coach I could possibly be. So I'm, I'm really thankful for my opportunities um, at UCF. It was awesome. So when you got this original role at UCF, what what was your role? What were you in charge of as an assistant coach? Originally, when I first got there, I was just an outfield coach, which I didn't even play outfield. <laughs> um, but I embraced it. Um, I figured out how can I learn the best, like, what, what can I learn? I, I really started studying it, and that was my first role, was just being an outfield coach. And I just kind of took on a lot where I would just, on my own, I'm a student of the game. So I would take a lot of notes, and then I started doing all the scouts. And then it ended up me developing into letting the pitchers and catchers know how to attack hitters. And then from there, we started realizing, I know a lot of coaches are into letting their catchers call their own game. And I understand that. I'm just a little bit different. Um, And we were struggling a little bit just because our pitcher and catcher maybe didn't know how to attack them always the right way. wasn't saying that they were always wrong. And um, we just decided, well, somebody's got to go and call the pitches. Who's going to do it? And I remember everybody's like, I don't know. And I was like, I'll do it. I was like, give me the scout. Let's do this. So then I ended up started calling pitches and I just ended up having a craft for it and I was really good at it. And luckily I ended up at one point I had the one, two best pitchers in the country with the lowest ERAs. And um, I'm just really thankful that she trusted in me to let me do that, especially at such a young age that she just let me kind of roll with it. And it was just a really cool experience. Um, just it was really awesome overall especially to coach such such a great group of girls especially a great pitching staff it was really great and then eventually since I was calling pitches I would tell Renee I think I need to go into the bullpen a little bit (laughs) because I need to learn a little bit more if I'm going to understand what they're good at and what they're bad at and then another fun fact when I got recruited to UCF I got recruited to be a pitcher and middle infielder I never pitched a day in my life there, thank God. <laughs> um, but I ended up playing second base my freshman year, then third base. So I knew a little bit about pitching. I did it since I was seven, um, but it just wasn't my first my first love. I, yeah, I love third base. And it's di- base. different at the collegiate level, too. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. I knew I'd be okay, but I knew I wasn't going to dominate <laughs> in uh, yeah. college. Yeah. Um, and luckily, we had a really good pitcher at UCF. She just got inducted to the Hall of Fame there. But wow. I was like, thank God, I don't have to pitch. That's not me. Um, so I knew a little bit about pitching, but she was totally okay with me getting into the bullpen a little bit more. So 
I got into the bullpen a little bit more, and I got to pick the brain of Shelby Turnier and Mackenzie Otis, which are two of the greatest pitchers of all time at UCF and probably in college softball. Um, so I got to pick their brain a lot. I got to pick Renee's brain because she was the pitching coach, and I just learned a lot. So my role definitely changed, and I took on a lot more responsibilities as the years progressed there. I mean, I believe 2015 was the year UCF led the nation with a sub-1 ERA. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, the the proof is in the pudding there yeah. for, for how well it worked, but that's a, that's a pretty incredible number. Yeah. So, um, you know, quickly before we transition to Quinnipiac, because I know you, you ended up leaving UCF for yes. uh, Florida International. Yeah. So. Um, you know, what was the decision-making process behind that? What what made you leave, leave UCF at the beginning? Yeah, it, honestly, it was really hard for me just because I love UCF so much. Yeah. Um, it's it will always have a place in my heart because I'm just so thankful for everything that UCF did for me. I think it's one of the greatest universities in the world, um, and I'm just really thankful for everything and how, every opportunity that I had at that school. Um, but I just needed to come back home. My grandfather was sick. And I was just like, that's what's more important. Um, I love softball to death, and I love UCF to death. But family was more important to me. My grandfather means a lot to me, and I just knew I had to go back home. Um, so I had a great opportunity to go to FIU and take over a bullpen for my first time completely. <laughs> um, so that was really cool. Um, so I'm just really thankful for that opportunity, too. And it was just the way the cards fell. Um, I don't think many people get those cards put in their in their favor. Just be able to go back home and coach at a high level still, and I had those cards fall right on my lap, and I'm really thankful for that. So I guess now now we can kind of get to the uh, the Quinnipiac story. So I mean, it, it it comes out, or at least you know from from our perspective up in Hamden, that Quinnipiac has a new uh, new head softball coach. So what was the process like for you? When did Quinnipiac kind of come across your desk, and what made you want to come here? Yeah, it's crazy. Because um, it all happened really, really fast. And it was funny. I was just talking about that before coming in here. But yeah. it just happened so fast. Um, I knew that I was ready to be a head coach. I knew the time came, and I, and I was ready to just spread my wings and just take on that journey and, and learn. Um, and when I saw that the job was open for Quinnipiac, I've heard of Quinnipiac before. Um, I had to practice it a few times, how to say it. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of Quinnipiac before, and it was more just for the polls. I heard about it yeah. also just because of sports, a lot because of basketball. Okay. Um, seeing them on TV, especially the women's team, they beat Miami. So, of course, I'm going to know that. A couple um, times. Yeah, so I grew tough, up a UM yeah. fam. <laughs> so, of course, I knew that they beat the girls. Yeah. And I've, I knew who Quinnipiac was, and I knew that Quinnipiac was on the rise. And um, I put my resume in, and they called me right away, and it was really cool. Um, I came and I interviewed basically at the end of July. Um, interview went awesome. Um, I really enjoyed meeting with Bill Mecca. Um, yeah, he's. I consider him Mr. Quinnipiac. Yeah, that's you read my mind. Yeah, but um, just talking to him, especially, I just like realized that Quinnipiac is a great place to be. Quinnipiac is a university that's on the on the rise, not just with academics and getting its name known, but I think athletically too. I think Greg is really working hard. Um, on building the Quinnipiac name, on building the facilities here. And I could see that this was a place for me where I could build a great program and build a culture of winning. So talk to me about that culture of winning and building a program. What are you trying to establish here in your first year for your team? Yeah, more it's belief that they can do it. I think that's one thing that they struggled with. I think that um, when I came in, we did a lot of leadership training and a lot of team building. And one thing that I learned is that they were kind of unsure whether they could do it or not. And they were just okay with just competing. 
And that's different than from what I'm used to. I'm used to, no, we just don't compete. Like, we go out there to win every game and show people who we are. And every school that I was at leading up to this point, UCF, um, my first year was kind of rough. We were a 500 team, and it was a building process to get UCF where it is today. And the same with FIU. FIU wasn't really known, and it was a process, and it's – it's a you just have to change the culture and teach kids that they can win that you're capable of anything and it doesn't matter if you're a power five school or not everybody has the same amount of hours to train everybody has the same opportunities and it's what you do those opportunities that separate you from the rest of the teams and that's something that I stress a lot here and I think um, what's been different is that they really believe in themselves and it's yes it has been a struggle for us in the beginning of the season Um, but that's part of the learning process and I tell the girls all the time like if we were 20 and 0 would we really be able to be where we need to be by conference like this is our story and it's going to be one of the best stories ever so they understand that they believe in that and um, what we talked about most is the MAC it's win the MAC so the all-star break is over for us this is our (laughs) new season so we consider ourselves 4 and 0 right now nice and it's not always how you start it's how you finish and that's what we stress a lot is just believing in yourself, don't die, and never give up. And if you do that, amazing things are going to happen. So so talk to me a little bit about that, uh, the non-conference schedule. Because, I mean, you know, playing softball in the in the Northeast is a little bit of a different yeah. animal than playing <laughs> down in Florida. And yeah. just that you're, you're pretty much constantly on the road. You're playing a, a bunch of programs that you otherwise wouldn't see. But, you know, what was your team able to get out of that experience going all over the place and playing? I think... Well, one is that we got to bond yeah, a lot, and I think the girls really love each other, and I think that's something special because, especially with girls, putting a group of girls together <laughs> all the time, it's not always the easiest thing, um, but what was fun during spring break is we actually stayed in a house, like a 12-bedroom house, and it was a lot of fun. We did a lot of things, and I'm like I said, I love being creative, yep. so we did a lot of creative things where we were able to do a lot of team bonding and, and different things, and I think what's really important for a coach, too, to get their kids to buy in is to show that you care more about them as a person and not just as an athlete, and I think that's what me and Coach Scott have really tried to do here is show the kids that we care about them as people and what they're doing when they leave Quinnipiac. Of course, we care about them as athletes, but who are you going to be as a person? And if you could build them up as people and show them that you care, it's a lot easier for them to buy in um, to what you're doing. So the road games have been tough. Um, It's not easy. We've had some tough ups and downs, um, some really hard losses, some heartbreak losses. But we've learned a lot, and we don't really call them failures. That's what we talk about. It's not failing. They're not losses. Um, What we're doing is we're learning. And all it's doing is helping us get to where we want to be come conference time. I Actually, it's funny you mentioned that. And now the creativity part makes more sense. Because yeah. I, I was <laughs> I was following along that, that trip on uh, the Instagram story. Fun. And, I, and I saw the kind of the tour through the house. And first of all, my eyes are, are popping as I'm sitting up in Albany, New York. Like, man, I wish I was down there. <laughs> but then I saw, I think it was, a, was it a pizza making contest that yes, you guys did? That was scary. That was scary. <laughs> what do you mean? Um if you would have watched them try to make pizza and I was trying to stay back and not tell them stuff but I was like girls I did bread class for six weeks like you guys are doing stuff wrong and I had one girl even trying to roll out pizza dough with a watermelon which was very interesting and I was like Taylor what are you doing and she was like I make pizza all the time coach don't worry about it and I was trying to tell her what was going to happen wrong and she was like coach I know how to do this and I was like all right Taylor do your thing and ended up rising too much and it wouldn't cook correctly but I tried to tell her um but 
but believe it or not, the freshman won. The freshman actually made some pretty good pizza, but wow. it's because they asked me. They were smart. Mm. Coach Hill, what's your favorite pizza? <laughs> and I was like, bacon and pepperoni, and they made bacon and pepperoni. Oh, that's and it good. Was the that's best, good. Yeah, it was the best pizza. I was like, winners. So they were smart. Um, my sophomores and juniors tried to get really creative, and they tried to make it based off a of salad. And it was funny because when we picked up the pizza, everything fell off. Oh. <laughs> but it was cool. It's like cool little team bonding. Oh, yeah. Um, things like that and um, getting them to have fun outside of athletics. I, I think and having those memories and having those laughs with each other, yeah. I think, are the things that they're going to remember the most. And you got to be able to laugh at yourself a little bit yeah. when, when you're doing that, <laughs> being able to, to relax and just kind of say, oh, man, I made a piece of that. Now there's nothing on it. Yeah, that's, that's, so it was really funny. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fantastic, though. So, I mean, now 4-0 to start the MAC season, two doubleheader wins on, on Saturday and Monday. So, I mean, what's been clicking for your team so far? I think the most important thing, honestly, has been Kendall. Um, she's our senior pitcher, and I know how bad she wants it. Um, she's been behind a great pitcher uh, prior to this in Casey Herzog. So this is really her time to shine, and I feel like she's always had good stuff. She just needed a, somebody to like believe in her a little bit more and perfect in it, and she's totally bought in, and she's been my leader in the bullpen. And some games have been rough for her, and it's been a learning process for her. And um, we talked about that. I'm like, when you face good teams, when you leave balls over the middle, it's not going to work. And that's something that she's learned. And um, we've talked about setting up hitters, how to be smart. And um, I think I've taught her more, not just how to pitch the ball, but how to be a student and how to attack hitters. And it's taking her game to the next level. And I think it showed, I think I was trying to do her ERA, but it's pretty insane what she's done um, for us just in the Mac play these past four games. Um, I'm just really proud of her, especially yesterday. She pitched 11 innings, came out, and she had 11 strikeouts. She gave up one run, and I couldn't ask for anything better. And when you have a pitcher doing something like that for you, the girls obviously want to fight for you, and they want to win. And it starts in the circle. The ball's in your hand every pitch. And I think the girls just – when Kendall starts off the game with a big strikeout or gets them to swing and miss at her nasty changeup, they're just like – they get pumped. You know, and I think it's things like that where you build energy, where the team just feeds off you. Energy is contagious, and it all starts right there in the in the circle. So, I'm just extremely proud of Kendall and just watching her step up to the plate because this is her time, and I couldn't be more proud of her. So, I mean, what, what's what was that conversation in game two? Because I know she she threw game game one, yeah. didn't start game two, but I mean, uh, at what point did you go to her and say, okay, we we may may need you to come back? <laughs> well, Lauren's doing a great job. I kind of think of her as a closer. For us because she just throws so much harder than her other girls. She, she'll hit 65 on the gun, so she throws pretty hard. Um, but Lauren's learning. So I see glimpses of greatness in Lauren. But I think, actually, fun fact, I'm her first pitching coach. Lauren has just learned naturally to just be Lauren. <laughs> She's a fun kid, too. She has a lot of personality. But it's a process for Lauren, and Lauren just throws really hard, and we're trying to teach her a lot more moving pitches and how to change speeds. So that's a process. And I know with Lauren it's going to be hard to get her through seven innings if you can't change speeds and you can't do different things. Um, so when I think we were like three and a half innings in, four innings in with Lauren pitching, I was like, all right, Kendall, you're going to have to get loose here. We might need you again. Um, we'll see how it goes with Lauren. And she was like, all right, coach, let's go. <laughs> so I love that about Kendall. She's always ready to go. She's always ready to have her teammates back. Um, but I've tried to save Kendall just because she had knee surgery over Christmas break. So it's just been a process, and I and I just have to be strategic how to use Kendall. Um, but she's really stepped up to, to the plate, and even if things are hurting, like I would never know. 
because she just pushes through it. And I think that's the definition of a great athlete. And she's really doing that for the team. So uh, actually, that's one of the the things I kind of know. I guess wanted to ask about now. the The mechanics of pitching in softball is a little different. I grew up playing baseball, yeah. so <laughs> I mean, it's you know, you you throw seven innings and you're cooked for five days. But I mean, from a softball perspective, I mean, she can throw eleven innings and really not feel yeah. anything. Is that that that's pretty much how it works? Yeah, because in baseball, it's not a natural mo- motion right. going overhand. In softball, it's more of a natural motion. Um, so they're able to throw a lot longer. Um, I make the girls. Usually pitchers get shafted in practice. That's what I like to say. (laughs) They'll be like, all you do is pitch. You pitch for an hour and a half maybe, and that's it. I'm a little bit different. I think it's also because I'm a position player too. And I, so I'm not just a pitcher. Um, that's not to say that other pitching coaches that are pitchers aren't great. Um, because I actually, my mentor was just a pitcher and she's amazing and I appreciate everything she's done for me. Um, but when they're done with pitching, I put them through core circuits. I put them through cardio stuff and then I make them go and they do infield practice. So they're practicing with us the entire time. I don't like girls sitting around. I like their heart rate staying up and I always try to make practice harder for them in general for all my girls than the game itself. And sometimes they think I'm crazy. I know it. I think in the beginning they thought this lady is nuts, you know, but um, they understand that if they want to win and they want to compete at a high level that it all starts at practice. So actually what is a, what does an average day and an average week look like for your team? <laughs> so when like right now in games, or the fall. I mean, uh, um, I guess a little bit of both. I mean, I, I, the fall is probably a whole different animal. But yes, it is. Yeah. Um, well, right now it's it's still tough for us. Um, I expect a lot. I'm out of them. I use every minute that I'm possibly allowed to use, <laughs> um, and they know that. And I think it's really hard for them just because they're just at such a challenging academic school too. So I think a lot of kudos to them for being able to be great student athletes. I think their GPA was almost a three four as a team, which is really tough to do considering you have to be a high level athlete on top of all those things but a day in the life of us um, Mondays are usually their off day so that's usually their off day but I will say I'm pretty sure most of the time those girls are out there still doing extra work we talk about that all the time that it's not just about the the hours that you put in with me and coach Scott and um, coach Meg in the weight room it's hours that you put in when nobody's looking that define the type of athlete that you're going to be so they're always trying to squeeze time and find time like even if it's 30 minutes let me go hit more let me field more ground balls so I'm pretty sure I have no idea but I'm pretty sure <laughs> a lot of them are doing that on Mondays um Tuesdays they have lift at 6 a.m Thursdays they have lift at 6 a.m Friday they have lift at 6 a.m um I make them lift at 6 a.m I tell them that's the time champions wake up <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sure they love that yeah yeah, yeah. So they understand. We talk about sleep, about the importance of it, about fueling your body. I have a meet with a nutritionist, but they wake, they wake up at 6 a.m. to go work out and they bust their butts for an hour. And then after that, um, they'll go to Aaron Sweeney, which is our athletic trainer. They'll get treatment. They'll fuel their bodies correctly. And then they got to go to class. So they're in class. Then we practice from 2 to 5. So they're with me from 2 to 5. Um if we practice on Wednesday, if we don't have a midweek, um, they're, w- they're with me from 2 to 6. I like to do some stuff with them um, for an hour. Um, it's just some more speed training and stuff like that. But my speed training and agility is more, um, I guess, geared towards softball. So we try to do a lot more hand-eye coordinations and, and things like that. So they're with me for four hours. I know that those are their favorite days <laughs> Is that they're, when they're with me for four hours. Oh, of but, course. <laughs> um, just... 
every day we try to use every minute um, that we have. And I just really try to push them the entire practice. I try to make everything where they're competing every day at practice. We don't do the same thing every day at practice. Every day at practice, they know something is going to be different. What is Coach Hill going to throw at us <laughs> today? So I try to make practice always different. I try to always throw adversity at them because I know that's what they're going to face in games. So wh- where are you getting your inspiration for different different drills and things you're trying in practice? Is just just something you're getting from yourself? or? Well, when I try to be creative yeah. um, with stuff that I've learned, I always try to pick Coach Scott's brain. That's why I brought her here. I didn't bring her here to be a robot. Um, she's learned a lot of stuff, too, from some great coaches and things along the way. So we just try to go back and forth with each other learning things. And then um, obviously I've learned stuff when I was at UCF. Um, I've learned stuff when I was at FIU. And then at coaching conventions too. I have a lot of great friends that I've made in the coaching realm. And I just pick their brains. I just, I'm a person that wants to learn. I don't think that I'm better than anybody else. I don't think um, that I can't learn from other people, even if it's bad. <laughs> I feel like there's always something to learn. Why not learn from the great? So I always try to learn from the great coaches. And it's not just in softball. I try to learn from great coaches in other sports, too, and just try to see what they do. And I try to figure out how can I make that maybe more game-like for softball. So I always try to make it fun for the girls. I always try to make it creative for the girls. And I feel like, in turn, they know that we're investing in them, um, that we're not just going out there doing the same thing every day. And sometimes it gets monotonous, especially being indoors. Um, so I feel like it's really important to make things fun and different for them. And on Fridays is our competition day. So in the weight room, they're doing team stuff where they're competing. And then at practice, we're always doing like um, different things where we're competing with each other, di- different obstacle courses and things like that. And I just try to make fun uh well, it's like fun day Friday. <laughs> so Fridays are fun, but I think it's just fun, but they don't notice how hard that they're working because of how fun um, it actually is. But Fridays are probably our most favorite days. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there, there's <laughs> nothing better than competition to get yeah. to get people uh, to get the blood pumping. So I guess the, the last softball-related question I have, you know, what are the goals from this year's team, both short-term and long-term? Uh, long-term, I'm going to start with long-term. Our long-term goal is to leave a legacy. Um, like we say, we're the new era. So I say, what do you want that to be? I, I ask them all the time, like, what is the new era of Quinnipiac softball? And I didn't tell them what this is what I want because I feel like if I push what I want, they're not going to buy into it. So we figured out as a team, like, what do we want? for the new era to be what legacy do you guys want to leave do you want to just be another team here or do you want to leave the foundation for what every Quinnipiac softball team is going to be from here on out so that's something that we talk about all the time is who do we want to be remembered as you know what legacy do you want to leave when you leave this program and they always talk about that when they leave here years down the road they want to see Quinnipiac softball on TV, they want to see Quinnipiac softball make a name for themselves, and they want to be proud to say, I was there when it started. So they understand that it's a lot of the little things. <laughs> so little things may be just small things like uh, being a good teammate, um, picking up your freshmen, not making it about seniors and freshmen, that we're all equals. We talk about that all the time, that we never give up. So there's just like, we always have fight. I mean, it's just little things like that. and. We know we may not always get the best athletes, and that's totally okay with us. But that doesn't mean we can't win. That doesn't mean we can't be the scrappiest team out there, that teams are annoyed by us because we never give up. And that's something that we want to embrace. And then, obviously, we want to win the MAC this year. That's that's our short-term goal, I guess, for this year. (laughs) We want to win the MAC. 
And it's something I think before where they just wanted to make the MAC tournament. And I was like, what's the point in just making the MAC tournament? Like, what's the point in that? Why not make it to the end? Do you guys think it's impossible to win it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, then why sell yourself short? And I think that's just something that they've done is that they sell their self short, that their, their goal's always been, well, let's just get there. And I'm like, why do that? What's the point in just getting there? So we talk about that. Like, we're not just going to get there. Like, we're going to get there as one of the top seeds, and we're going to win this thing, and we're going to go to regionals, and we're going to be a top 64 team, and we're going to make it, and we're going to show people who Quinnipiac softball is. So I think really that's been our biggest thing is just – take control of the Mac and all these games leading up to this, whether we've won or whether we've lost have just been learning experiences to get us to where we want to be for the Mac conference. Wow. I'm ready to run through a brick wall now. (laughs) Um, So, so typically at the end of these interviews, we ask three questions. These are the real thinkers, the personal ones. (laughs) Uh, So the first one, if you could live anywhere in the world that was not Hamden, Connecticut, where would it be and why? Oh man, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, the first thing that popped in my, my mind is Hawaii. <laughs> Ooh, okay. I, I think sure I would live in home. Hawaii. Okay. Um, I actually have played there, and I've coached there. So I, when I was at UCF, we got to play there in a tournament, which was a lot of fun. And then we got to coach there. And then another fun fact, my parents actually lived there for three years. My dad was stationed in the Army there. My older sister was born there. And I always asked my dad, why didn't we just stay there? <laughs> I was like, I could have been like a surfer on ESPN magazine, and this would have been <laughs> awesome. Um, but I think I just love the beach. I love the island life. And I think it's um, it's really cool. And people in Hawaii are really passionate about Hawaii. And I think it's like a really family culture there. And I could just see myself <laughs> um, living there, retiring there one day. And oh. like living the dream, even though it's really far away from everyone, <laughs> it just would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, and that, that may not be the worst thing in the world for a retirement. Just kind of kind of take a step back. You know, yeah. nobody can drive there, so it, it's not. Yeah, yeah, I would love it there. <laughs> um, okay, next question I have: uh, If you could have dinner with one person, either alive or deceased, oh, who would it be and why? Uh, goodness, if if I'm gonna get emotional right now, I, I probably would have dinner again with my grandfather. I'm just because he passed away and he means everything to me. Um, And all the time I'm thinking about, like, what is he thinking right now? Is he mad at me up there? Like, is he thinking I'm doing the right thing? And um, he was always my person that I would go to after games um, when I was coaching and when I was a player. And he was always the one that was there for me. And um, wins or losses, he was the first person I always called. And he was the only person I wanted to talk to if I lost. <laughs> I'm a sore loser, I'll admit it. <laughs> so I hate I hate losing in tic-tac-toe. I, I just get so upset. Um, but he was just one person I always knew I could talk to. And that would always be there for me. And if I, you know, if I could take, if I could go back in time and just have one more dinner with him, just one more chat with him, um, I definitely would. Can't I, honestly when when you when you said that or earlier in the in the conversation I because I know I we asked these to all of our guests and I was like oh okay we might we I might have a built in answer there yeah. but that you, you can't go wrong there absolutely and the yeah. final one uh, you are on death row what is your last meal your dinner your drink and your oh dessert? goodness okay um, dinner okay so um, there's this restaurant in Orlando it's called Tibby's it's New Orleans cuisine and Rita's chicken I love Rita's chicken so I would get Rita's chicken it's like this fried chicken and this dirty rice I don't know how to explain it but it's just absolutely amazing so I would get um, Rita's chicken dessert I love dessert (laughs) obviously I went to pastry school right so (laughs) I would love dessert yeah Um, believe it or not I am an ice cream fan I love ice cream especially 
love ice cream. Um, I love Ben and Jerry's fish food. So I probably would have Ben and Jerry's fish food. Sounds kind of weird because it's called fish food, but it's actually really awesome. Oh, yeah. Chocolate ice cream, uh, marshmallow swirl, caramel swirl, and chocolate little fishes. I just love it. So I would have fish food and drink. Hmm. Can this be a 21 and over drink? Of course. <laughs> Um, I would probably have a double crown with a splash of spray <laughs> on death row. <laughs> there you go. Make it go down easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hillary, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, best of luck here as you get into the max schedule. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. We're going to interject from the uh, typical end of this podcast because as we were scrolling Twitter while we were recording, John Buchagross reported that Quinnipiac goalie Andrew Shortridge had signed a deal with the San Jose Sharks. So uh, it is quite possible by the time you listen to this that we will have confirmed details. But right now, the rumor is out there that Shortridge has signed with the San Jose Sharks. He posted a 940 save percentage this year. Led the nation in a bunch of goaltending categories for the season. So if that does end up being the case and we do get more information, then congratulations to Shorty on signing. That's another signing from this Quinnipiac Bobcats program and a huge congratulations to him. That's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Go online to QuinnipiacBobcats.com. Get all your stats, rosters, scores, tickets, merch, anything you may need right there for Bobcat Nation on QuinnipiacBobcats.com. Follow all the social media accounts. It is at QUAthletic on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow the softball program at QU underscore softball on both Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, the Instagram story had a behind the scenes trip when the team was out in California. So uh, it was interesting to see them uh, in their the house that they had rented. It was actually something that uh, Coach Barrow talked about in the interview, the experience they had bonding as a team out there. But regardless of that, if you want to follow both accounts, it is at QU underscore softball make sure you subscribe to us on itunes leave us a review we would really appreciate it helps us grow matt mcauliffe if we want to follow you how can we at m mcauliffe seven hasn't changed love that and i'm at dan ball b-a-h-l thank you so much for listening everybody we'll see you next week bye-bye theme song of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast is Wire and Flashing Lights by Professor Click. Click.